House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Dave Martino. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> see, it's a catching, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm catching you every time. You are. Yeah, you are. See, you know, you're, you're not like, paying attention. You're falling asleep. Like <laughs> heads in your whiskey. Settle yeah, that's down. right. Yeah. Settle down. <laughs> okay, another week, and uh, yeah. then then it's uh, holiday time for me. That's finally, right. The last to go. Who said you could go on vacation? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget. I'm the boss. That's right. That's right. To an extent. So <laughs> so let's move on. So today we yeah. are talking mystery. We have a mystery writer. Book is called The Empty Kayak, and it's a Queen City Crimes mystery, and it looks like it's novel three. The author, Jody Millman, thank you for being here. Nice to be with you guys. How did you get mixed up in this world of writing, telling the big lie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it's funny that you should use that uh, term of phrase because uh, by trade I'm an attorney. So <laughs> <laughs> There we go. <laughs> and, you know, it's, um, I kind of stumbled into publishing um, down a different path than most people. And I started out writing nonfiction because I was writing. My father wrote a book called Seats in New York, and it's a guide to all the Broadway theaters, and he had seating charts and where to get tickets and how to get free tickets, all that good stuff. And then he um, unexpectedly passed away when the book became a bestseller for its publisher, which was Applause Theater and Cinema Books, which is part of Hal Leonard uh, Publishing. So they came to me and they said, look, you know, first of all, would you represent your father on the book tour? I said, sure. And then when the book tour was a success and we sold a lot of copies, they said, well, uh, would you like to uh, do the next couple of editions? So that I did that for about 10 years. I wrote several editions of this Broadway uh, series. But then in the back of my mind, I knew that I always wanted to write fiction. So when the internet kind of blew up and took away really the market for a book like Seats, I decided to really sit down and seriously, you know, put my story that had been percolating in my head for a while down on paper, and that was about 2010, so that's when I started writing my fiction. But when you're taking over for the, the, the series you were doing, where, where did that kind of confidence come from? Because if, for me, I could just think of myself 10, 20 years ago and someone saying, you know, in the family writing and then dying and then saying, well, why don't you do it? It's like, what? I mean, because like, that's, you know, that's not just something you do casually. That's something, and I would imagine it, you felt a little bit of pressure. You know, actually, um, it, it came about at a very convenient time in my life because my husband uh, was transferred for a position out to Ann Arbor, Michigan. We'd been living in Poughkeepsie, New York, which is where we lived um, and where we moved back to. And at that point, I had to close my office, move my family out to Michigan, and I really didn't have anything on my plate. So it came about at the perfect time in my life for a career change. So, and it wasn't really daunting for me because I'd been involved with my father as he'd gone through the process and as, and also with the contacts that he'd had creating the book. So it wasn't really something that I stepped into, you know, cold turkey. It was something that 
you know, was kind of organic. That's probably the best way to describe it. It was organic. I like cold turkey. <laughs> after the day after Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, I think cold turkey's great. But listen, uh, when we get into, into mystery, okay, so you're, you're tied up in, in law, a lawyer, and you kind of jump into the mystery. So yeah. where does that come from you? Do you have like this real... Do you love mysteries and all that, and you kind of jump into it, or is it does it come from cases you've worked on or people you've run across in your in your work life? Well, I always loved mysteries. I mean, probably you know my first addiction was Nancy Drew, and so you know I after reading all those books, it was always something that I really loved, and I found that over the years. I mean, I'm a huge. I was a huge fan of Elmore Leonard and P.D. James. I mean, I really read a lot of mysteries. And so that really kind of fed, you know, the beast. Because I, when I knew that I wanted to write fiction, I never thought about writing anything else, to be honest with you. Because being an attorney, I wanted to write about something that I knew. And I wanted to write about write a legal thriller. And... The stories that I write are all inspired by true crimes which have happened in the Hudson Valley and crimes with which I've had some kind of connection, some direct and some tenuous. So to me, those stories, again, came to me very naturally. So when I knew that it was time to write, I knew it was going to be a legal thriller and I knew it was going to be one of these stories. Well, they were just crimes you committed yourself. Well, that, the crime was on paper more than anything else. <laughs> so what comes first for you then? Like when you sit down to do this, was it the setting, the, the character, or is it the plot? Like what, what, how do you start a mystery story? Well, the setting is always going to be the Hudson Valley, where I live. And as I go through my stories, I introduce my readers to different aspects of the Hudson Valley, not the same ones, that they also get to know this beautiful place where I live. So that's always a given. Kind of like Anne Cleve, you know, always writes about the same place, and, and Louise Penny, they always write about the same place. So that's off the table. But what draws me, the first thing is, I would have to say it's the plot, because I start with that inspiration of the crime. And once I know what crime I'm going to write about, that's when I say, okay, I'm going to create a cast of characters, and how am I going to insert them so that their lives are affected in some way by this particular crime? So maybe, you know, sometimes they're victims, sometimes they're... Uh, they're related to victims, or they're on this. They're in this circle, and this. I call it the ripple effect. Like when you drop a, you know, when you drop a, a little pebble into the water, and you see it ripple out. That pebble is the crime, and everything else in my story are the ripples that come out in the concentric circles. It's funny, you know, when uh, Anne Cleves told me that she writes her settings as a character, and they, uh, yes. because they're, they're such a strong character to her settings and and she liked small settings like she didn't write in a big city for instance because it's it, it's just a different type of people and the way they interact with each other and stuff or do you do the same is your hudson valley setting like a character well you know it's funny that you should mention Anne because she really inspired me i took a class with her and it was all about setting becoming a character and her perspective was that setting is just not a place it dictates how people speak what they eat the type of clothes they wear you know their socioeconomic 
you know, classes, their names. I mean, so to me, setting is a huge character. And I try, don't want to say I try to mimic what Anne does, but, but when I'm writing, the things that she has said to me really follow through and hopefully come on my page. Yeah, she's she's quite a writer. Incredible. Um, when you when you put this together, your characters, where do they come from? Are they are they? I always ask that, and it's always kind of different from different people, <laughs> you know, because some are really really I, I don't want to say artsy, so it's they they hear their characters, they see them in their head, and they describe them as family and kids and things like that, and then others are more technical. And they mm-hmm. describe them more in technical terms, and they don't have any feelings toward them. Where do you fall in? Well, I knew that when I was going to write the story, I wanted to write about a female uh, lawyer. I thought, to me, that was very important, since that was something that I knew. So she was really, especially in the first the beginning, the first book, which was The Midnight Call, uh, my, my character, my protagonist, Jesse Martin, is the, uh, you know, she's the hub of where, around which everybody operates. So I, I didn't know her as a character. I knew who she was going to be. I knew the trouble she was going to get into and the misadventures she was going to have. I also knew, uh, since I was inspired by this true crime, I already knew who the bad guy was. And in fact, if you read uh, the Midnight Call, the first line is my, is my villain saying, I think I've killed someone. And I knew he was going to be a teacher because he was inspired by this teacher that I knew. So I started out with that dynamic, the tension between these two characters. This, this uh, gal, Jessie Martin, is uh, she's a young attorney. She's a corporate attorney. She doesn't know beans about criminal law. And then her mentor, her, you know, her father's best friend calls and says, hey, I, you know, I think I just killed someone. I need your help. And, of course, he calls in the middle of the night after he murders somebody or we believe that he murders someone. So I knew that, that from the beginning that those were the two characters who were going to drive the story. Then I needed other characters to tell the story. And I, when I write my books, I like to write from, I give, give the readers a 360-degree view of a crime. So, what, so for example, Jessie is an attorney, and she's also somewhat a bit of a victim in this. So I knew I was telling it from her perspective. I never tell it from the villain's perspective. I never want to go into his mind. But I needed um, a district attorney who would represent, you know, the administration, and he was going to, you know, uh, be someone who um, believed in Jesse, but also had some questions about her, and who who also had a romantic past with her. And then my third character that I created was was going to be somebody who I needed. I needed a not a villain, but another attorney to play off Jesse, and that was going to be the criminal defense attorney. So. Taking those three characters, each character knows something about the story and about the plot that none of the other characters know. Only the reader will know the true story and the whole story behind the crime. So that's how I write, giving these three perspectives that give you hopefully a 360-degree view of my, my crimes and my stories. Does that answer your question? 
No. <laughs> I didn't think it did. <laughs> As where they came from, you know, I, I can't I can't really tell you where you know, where they came from. They you know my husband says you have to be a little nuts to be a crime fiction writer, so I think that must come from, you know, come from that, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt, no doubt. Well, well, speaking of that, when you're creating dialogue, I'm wondering, can, can you hear these characters? Can you hear Jesse in your head? Um, do you have an inner monologue? I know like 20 to, to 50% of people actually don't have, they, they can't hear the thoughts in their heads. And so, uh, you know, in creating the dialogue, do you hear the character and transcribe it? Or... Is there some other way? No, I do hear the characters, and I do see the characters, and the characters do, and I'm sure you've heard this a gazillion times, they take on a life of their own. So, you know, to some right. degree, I'll become the vessel within which they are spewing their story. I mean, really. Um, it's coming from my imagination, but I do, I do believe that they, uh, they take on a life of their own. And in fact, I mean, I recall specific scenes where in my mind and in my outline, see, I, I am definitely a plotter. Being an attorney, I have to, you know, plot everything out and I do these really elaborate, um, outlines that can be, you know, 30, 40, 50 pages, which hopefully kind of mimic my chapters as I'm going through the book. And as I outline, I find sometimes I have to go off track because the characters are telling me they want to do something else. <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask you. Yeah, I was going to ask you if they uh, surprised you, and uh, how, how do you get back on track? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I mean, I I I can rope them in. You know, sometimes I find myself like uh, them putting me in the corner, and that's really the big challenge when they do things I hadn't anticipated, and then it becomes a puzzle for me as the writer to figure out how I can wangle them back. <laughs> Well, um, are you allowed to drive, hearing these voices? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I heard voices. I said I'm the vessel through which they speak. <laughs> well, 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 I am the medium. A, I'm the medium. You're the medium. So you go around, you dress up like the characters. and oh, no, I, guess, I, I guess that's... Uh, so the bad guys um, and the evil character, the person that does the killing or the murder or the bad crime or whatever... Is, is kind of the mysteries about. How do you get into writing that type of person? You know, that, it, it was really difficult the first time around to create someone who was a villain, but also had some redeeming qualities that, that people weren't totally shut them off. Do you, you know what I mean? You yeah. need to, you, they need to have some kind of a weakness to them or something that makes them human, not just a bad guy. If for me, I think the most recent villains or suspects for me were the most difficult to write because the first, the first book was a why done it. We know from the beginning who the villain is. The second book was more like, what's going on here? I mean, there was like a total, it was like a, a bunch of cold cases that were, were they linked together? Were they, they not linked together? Was it one person? Was it many people? So I really didn't have to create. I knew who the villain was, and I, I had to hint at there being other villains, but he also wasn't very difficult to create because I knew the crimes that he had committed, and I, I, just, I just knew him. This most recent one, it was the first time I really wrote a whodunit. So in writing a whodunit, you have to create suspects who possibly could be, uh, you know, the villain. 
And so, to some degree, they're all villains. So I had to write more than one villain, which was really challenging, making, making, them, making the, the, the reader wonder, could one or more of these people be, be villains? And for me, that was, that was really quite a challenge, because as I said, I had, to do some, I had to write something, make them good to some degree, not just all bad. Right. Yeah. And you kind of have to show their reasoning a lot of times. I think for the, for the reader to care, they have yeah. to kind of understand who this bad person is or in why they think they're doing something good or why they, why they're doing it. That's the whole thing. Why are they doing it? What is their motivation? And yeah. that's, to me, that's, that's, that's a challenge creating a, uh, a plausible motivation that would make someone want to kill a person or, you know, do whatever to them, you know? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. really difficult. Well, kind of after the last five years, I think you would almost right say anything now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't yeah. have to be that plausible anymore. Oh, you're yeah, right, yes. Anything is possible now, right? You can Woo, that's do, for sure. You know. And the truth is not the truth, exactly. No. <laughs> so you can say, yeah. It, it is. You saw it on the Internet. Well, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So in speaking of that, so you do use Internet through this, right? You, you, are, you have involved the Internet in this story, as in social media and stuff when we're, yes. when we're talking. So you are drawing kind of what, what is going on in the world somewhat today, like it's, it's fairly updated. And so do, you, do you have to do a lot of studying to get accurate on Internet or...? You know, I, do, I, I would say with every aspect of every book that I've written, I really do a lot of research. And that's because I feel a responsibility that when I am presenting something to my readers, I want them to know that it's accurate. Because I know when I read historical fiction or I read a book, I don't want to be fed lies. I w and I also want to learn something. And so that's why I do do a lot of – and it's not only research on the Internet. Um, for this last book, The Empty Kayak, I'd never been kayaking. So my husband, my son, and I went to a kayaker, and he t actually took us out in the Hudson River so that we, I would know what my characters were going through, and I would know the importance of equipment, and just so I, would, I could know what I was writing about. And I feel very strongly about that. Same thing with, you know, the Internet. I, if, if I need an expert. I don't have any hesitation, you know, calling a frenzy pathologist or talking to an OBGYN or talking to firefighters. To me, I'm learning and I want to be able to accurately portray everything in my books. But now, are you, do you, are you conscious of the violence that you write on the page? Is it, is it something that you uh, try to I don't know, maybe pacify some or try to make it uh, easier to palette than, than a real slam dunk slasher? Well, you, you know what was interesting? With the first book that I wrote, um, The Midnight Call, I was with a company and I believe that they were, uh, they call themselves a clean press. So when I submitted the book to them, it had much more violence in it. And they came back to me and they said, look, we really like your book, but we need you to cut out the sex and the violence. Um, and I said, okay. There's so only I've two been, pages left. That's exactly. <laughs> I got to do here. <laughs> so I went through and I found that, you know, the book stands without having any of that on the page. So, I mean, there, there is violence. It's more hinted at um, in the first book. In the second book, um, there... 
there is there's there there is a lot of violence. I had to describe a lot of violence because a woman gets really beaten up pretty pretty hard. And people have said to me that was a very difficult passage to read, and and it was a difficult passage for me to write too. And with this last book, you know, there's a drowning takes place, and that was very that was very hard to to write too. But they're essential to the story. I mean, that those are the hearts of the crime, you know. And if you're going to be a crime writer, you know, you do it. Right, right. You you don't tackle, you don't kill someone's dog, or you don't usually bring in children to it, do you? No, I'll draw no. the line. Yeah, there's a yeah. line that I will not cross. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, because if it's not like a true crime book itself, I think it's pretty hard to bring bring that into it. And personally, if someone kills a dog, I, I stop reading. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no there's no point there's no point in it at all. You know, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. no point. Yeah. All the guys laugh at me, but no, I can't. <laughs> Everything has got to further the story. I mean, I, I think that's the most important arch, that everything has got to further the story, whether it's dialogue, whether it's the plot, whether it's the violence, whether it's the setting. Everything has got to move the story forward. So when you write a story like this and someone picks up the book, someone picks up the empty kayak, takes it home and reads it, and at the end of it, Besides the entertainment and besides the main storyline or mystery that you've got going on, is there a subtext or a plot or perhaps a meaning that you hope that the reader takes away? And and, and I know sometimes it's planned, but sometimes it's also something that happens organically in a story. You know, it's interesting that you should ask me that question because I, I recently did an interview with Diana Gabaldon. Of the, of the Outlander series, and she had said that every book can be summarized, that she's written, in one word. And I asked her, she's writing, she's writing book 10, I said, what is, what is it? And she said, I don't know yet, I'll know when I finish. And I was thinking about that, because as I've written my books, to me, the first book was about betrayal, the second one was about um, rehabilitation, and I wanted the third book, the Empty Kayak, to be about reconciliation. And it's about people uh, reconciling with their past, people reconciling with each other, people reconciling who they are and what they're feeling and how, how they feel about things. Um, so it really, for me, is all about reconciliation. I hope people pick that up. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. Um, I've, I've got that kind of an answer the last couple of weeks from different people, whether it be science fiction, you know, any type of writer, a lot of people are talking about uh, that kind of reconciliation and, and that. And I would just wonder if it's just from from the last five years and everything that we've been going through. I wonder if people are, it's more hopeful, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, I think it is. And I think that especially in the past three years, you know, we're right. looking for hope. We're looking, we're, you know, we're looking for a new start. We're looking, you know, we want to be, as you say, very optimistic about where, where we're going on our respective paths. And that's how I wanted my characters to end up at the end of the book. You know, it's funny, because, and, and, and I was thinking about this. If you look back in time, you know, you could look back at the old, um, even the science fictions, like the old Star Trek and the old, all of the things, it was all, it, it, it can be threatening and kind of like it's coming to the end of the world, but it's still hopeful. 
Whereas a lot yes. of the stuff before the pandemic was, it just was very, everyone's going to die. Right. <laughs> it's just no hopeful ending, right? It's just all terrible. Maybe it's kind of swinging back a little bit, which. Yeah, you know, every, there was a lot of uh, post-apocalyptic novels before the pandemic. I mean, if you look at like Station Eleven, um, right. you know, and you, you see there were a lot of books like that. And now we've lived through that. You yeah. know? I mean, who would ever have thought that we would live through Station Eleven? But, you know, we did. And so now I think people, do, I don't think they want to read about uh, the pandemic. You know, um, Louise Penny kind of tested that in the last, uh, one of the last books she wrote, The, Mad the, the Madness of the Crowd. Right. She hints at, the, at moving through the pandemic. To me, I'm not writing about the pandemic. You know, no. I, 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 life, I'm skipping over that. I'm pretending that never happened. <laughs> yeah, the hour that never was. Exactly, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it, what, you know, there has to be, I think people are tired of that. It, it, it's been so negative in, in, in general, in everything. Like everyone's so pessimistic. Everything's going to, everything's just bad. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and, and I think it's kind of good in a way to move forward. Uh, you know. Oh, we have to, and I'm, I'm hoping that we stay on that track and that yeah. we do not slide backwards. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because personally, I, you get, you get, you get kind of, you get tired of all the negativity and the running down of people and all that. It's kind of like, come on, do be, be happy, be positive. Right. So, listen, at the end of it, when you finish a book like this, or if you're writing a series and you're putting it together, and when you complete it. And you get it into the publisher, and it's all you know coming out and everything. How do you think the process of a book like that changes you? You know, I don't. Uh, I never really thought about about how it changes me. To me, this is. I view this as a career, and I view this as an ongoing process. So for me, it's a step of learning. If anything, I can say I I've learned more about publishing. I probably have learned more about myself. Hopefully. I'm more confident with each book in my ability to tell a story. You know, because when you first start out, especially for me, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And hopefully, as I've gone through this process, I'm refining those skills. I'm refining, you know, the pacing, the dialogue, the characters. Um, personally, it's, um, you know, when I stopped practicing law, that was, you identify yourself by your occupation. And I always identified myself as a lawyer. Now, I think I'm identifying myself more as an author than a lawyer. It used to be lawyer slash author. Now it's author slash lawyer. Yeah, I identify myself as a writer slash dancer. <laughs> <laughs> well, what kind of dance do you do? Don't ask. Don't dance ask. Dance what, <laughs> Yeah, whatever, whatever's going on in this mind, you know. I'm just dancing. Dancing away. Oh, that's good. Yeah, why not? I want to be, happy. I can be. Yeah. Yeah. The internet says it's true, so it's true. <laughs> when you're doing a, a series, um, are you keeping kind of, um, at, what do they call it? They call it a Bible or some yes. sort of a thing to kind of keep track of all of the characters and kind of their ins and outs and the, their habits and stuff like that. Do you do that yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes, I do. And I started that after the while I was writing the first book, and now I have a very thick, Binder. And, you know, what I do is when I create a character, I assign them a birthday based upon 
um, you know, like an astrological sign kind of thing. So when I develop them, I'm able to do research and find out what the characteristics are of that particular sign. And that's all in the Bible. The same thing with anagrams. I'll, find, I'll, I'll determine what kind of anagram personality they have. And so that goes, goes in there. You know, things like their eye color, uh, what they like to eat, their backstory, all the things that readers never know about. But I know about them, you know, that the type of food, the type of clothes they like to wear, um, their favorite colors, all of that is in my Bible so that when, I, when I'm continuing on with the series, it's all there for me at my fingertips. Yeah, because the worst thing in the world is to make a mistake like something simple on a character because people will find that and let Ooh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the eye color. I'm, yeah. I'm a big one with eye color. I, I have to make a chart of everybody's eye color and the kind of cars they drive. Well, yeah, they're subtle, but they're important. And are you surprised sometimes at what readers will pick out of a story or what sometimes they'll think <laughs> something means in a story that they've read of yours? Yeah, the, when the first book came out, people said, well, she obviously doesn't know anything about the law. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, that's, I guess that certificate that says I'm admitted to the Supreme Court doesn't mean anything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, people do pick up the craziest things. I mean, somebody reviewed uh, The Empty Kayak, and they said they picked up on, like, the tiniest little thing. And it was like, you know, it was like a throwaway remark. And all of a sudden, they're citing it in a, in, in a review. It was just crazy. It's human nature, right? Yeah. Do you actually go out? Do you, do, so do you, do you go to your way and you follow what people are saying and reviews and, and Goodreads and all that stuff? Are you, are you sort of really into that? Or does it, do you totally avoid that? Um, I to, I, I, the more that I've been writing, the more I avoid it. Because, you know, my philosophy is, and, and first of all, I love reviews. I really appreciate when somebody reads my book and they want to write a review. But I don't understand why people have to write nasty reviews. My mother taught me to say, if you don't like something, you don't say anything. Right. You know what I mean? Why go out of your way to be mean and nasty? And I, I, I don't understand that mentality. And, you know, I don't think anybody, um, you know, needs... Why are you expressing yourself that way? Like you said, we should be happy. Yeah. Write about things that you like. If you don't like my book, then just, you know, throw it away. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of it, uh, you know, I heard that once, that it's usually, it's it's how their life, how their day is going mm -hmm. in their life. And that's what, that's how it comes out as the review. So you shouldn't, you should just sort of kind of go, well, that's just, you know, they're having a bad day or whatever, right. you know. I, I used to get really focused on it and I'd be really upset um, now I don't notice I look at the overall and that's right. good enough you know right <laughs> and, and you know it's also more important when um, I'm at events and people come up to me and they'll say you know it's it's more those comments mean more to me I think you know when when people say oh I like that part of your book or or they have questions to show that they've read the book that's what's really cool you know what I mean? When people will say, oh, you said that this happened. Why did that happen? So it shows that people are really engaged in what I'm writing, and that really, that means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's better. Do you like, you like doing the live events then, book signings and book stuff? I guess, are you starting to do them now that COVID's kind of in the, the rearview mirror somewhat? 
Yeah. Um, well, for the last last book, I did a lot virtually, which was fun because I got to you know like partner with people like Allison Galen and Ed, Edward Edmund. Edwin Hill, we would do, you know, everybody would kind of do things together. Now I'm kind of out of my own, and I, but I like being out and talking to people. And, and part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that, you know, as an attorney, you're a bit of a public speaker. You're a ham. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can stand up in court and talk all day. And I mean, to me, that, that skill kind of translates over. It's, it's fun. I really like getting out and meeting people. And I'm starting... With the, I'm starting to do some things a week from Friday, um, some live events, and then um, I'll be doing them on and off through the fall, which is great. Yeah, it's kind of good to get back out there and kind of get more normal, as normal as you can get. Right, and seeing people, <laughs> and having people come out, because people were afraid to come out, too. Yeah, well, they're always afraid to come out when I'm there. <laughs> but that's, you have that's like a clock bow over your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a different story. They're all like, "Oh my god," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so now, um, so what are you what are you going to do next? Like, what now that this is out and you're promoting and doing all that stuff? Do you have like others in the works right now, or do you or do you just doing one at a time? You know, I I, I was going to do one book but now i'm leaning toward another another a different crime so um i promised myself see i have been involved with i had a three book deal so i'm at the end of the contract and it was for three years or for two and a half years for a very compressed time i've been writing and researching so i promised myself the summer off so i'm gonna let everything kind of percolate um, and then I'll then I'll decide in the fall really what my direction is going to be. And I have other things in the hopper too because I teach. I don't know if you know this. I teach a class called the Writers Law School. And what I do is I give lectures and it's a program actually about copyright, trademark, patents, uh, fair use, um, every uh, publishing contracts in a short, you know, condensed uh, program. In instructing writers on how to do these things. So I, I'm also going to spend a little bit of time updating that, especially with the onslaught, onslaught of um, artificial intelligence. I get questions about the legal ramifications of that all the time. So that's something I'll probably work on this summer. Yeah, it's kind of um, it's kind of a free-for-all on the Internet in a way a lot of people I don't think really grasp the whole you know, protected content of, of, of writers and stuff like that. They just use things at will on the Internet. Yes, they do. They do. And it, there's a lot of infringement, and people can't generally afford to, you know, to protect their rights. But now I think the Copyright Office is taking, they've created what's known as a small claims panel where people for a very reasonable price can, can you know, uh, bring on actions for infringement. So, I mean, I think it's starting to, to shift uh, to protect uh, writers. And really, that's part of what the writer strike is about, is this artificial intelligence and, and how that's really going to impact uh, not only television, but as, even us. I mean, as, you know, as novelists, I mean, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that technology. What, what, so what's your thought on that now with the AI, the chat GPT or whatever, things like that? Um, is that sort of something that everyone should be concerned about? Um, I, I think it is because, first of all, it's uncontrolled. It's like the Wild West. And I don't, I don't think the, the programs are um, – I, I think they should be used 
in addition to humans, not in place of humans. That's that's really what I think my bottom line is. They're, they're here to help. It's here to help us, not replace us. Well, it can as far as I see, it can only. It's not writing things with feeling. It's writing things from what it's been fed. Right. What it steals from everybody else. Yeah. It's just. It's kind of like a, you know, computerized in you know copyright. It's kind of like infringement. You know. It's just. I don't know. But that's. I, I sort of think it's weird. It is weird. But you find that people are using it to write their synopsis and to write their blurbs, and um, some people are using it to write entire chapters of their book. I mean, you know, if that's the way you want to write, I mean, that takes all the joy and, you know, all the humanity out of it. I mean, and all the, the human expression. That's what, that's what writing is about. You know, yeah. you're writing from your heart. You're writing from, it's a human expression. And if you want to let the computer do it, God bless you. But just don't, you know, don't, don't present it as if you, a human, have written it. Yeah, I just, I, I just have no interest in that. At yeah, all, nothing. I'm just not even. I I don't know. I I like going through the newspapers, and if I'm writing about old times, I like going through all the stuff and and going through, and learning stuff and kind of trap, capture how I feel about things as I'm writing, rather than. I couldn't imagine just saying, "Okay, computer, write about 1924." Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I, I just it's just kind of crazy, but that's me. How long does it take you to do a book then? Well, I wrote the last book in a year, and that, I, for me, honestly, was really kind of stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that to me, that was stressful, and that's why I want to take a little time and, and think and enjoy the process instead of feeling like the hammer is going to come down on my head. Is there, is, there a, is there a particular time or when you're doing a book, is there something that all of a sudden you're going to go, wow, it's done, like you know when it's done and it's finished? Um, you know, it's funny. I never, um, I, I always second guess myself. So even when I submit my final version, I'm still in my head going, you know, maybe I should use this word. I like, I micromanage the situation. So in, in my head, it's never done until I see, I open the box and it's there, you know. <laughs> There's always a chance I can still change it, you know. <laughs> no, I can't. No, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever want to go back to an older book and, and do some changes on it? Is that all true? the time? That's why, yeah. you know, I don't want to, I, I try to make a habit of not reading anything that I've written. Oh, yeah. yeah. How about you? Do you do that? No, you know, I, I did it the first years, and now I don't. Once I've done it and we've been through editing and line editing and it's all finished, that's it. It's over. Mm -hmm. not, nothing to do with me anymore. I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's when, you know, when the line edits go in, that's when the knot kind of releases in my stomach. Yeah, yeah, it's all kind of done and over and it's fine. And um, I've kind of moved on then. I don't. I don't care so much anymore. Yeah. But there's a few times I know. I know with my very first book, I know that it still sells really well. And sometimes people talk about it and they'll say something or they want to read this or they go. And I always cringe because I'm thinking that was the very first thing I wrote. It's terrible, mm -hmm. right? Right. In my mind, I think, right. oh my god, it's awful. <laughs> but it, it gets pretty decent marks. But I just think, oh. I'm, I I don't I don't promote any of the old stuff, so kind of a combo, you know. What makes a good book for you? Like you know, what is what it keeps Jody reading? Characters, really. 
characters and being swept away to a place where I probably will never go. You know, right, right now I'm reading uh, The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese, who wrote Cutting for Stone. And it's a 775-page book, so I'm kind of slogging through it. But he's taken me to India in 1900. Ooh. And, you know, and he's taken me to, to Edinburgh, Scotland in 1900. And I'm really caught up in this family saga. And that's really where I want to be right now. I want to be someplace other than contemporary world true crime. The other books that I read, I, I also, and I also read, <laughs> I read a lot, some cozies. I like, um, I like MC Beaton. And I know she passed away in 2019, and I read her um, successor, R.W. Green, who's, who's fun. You know, it's just really light, fun stuff. That I that I enjoy reading Louise Penny. I mean, she's got great characters. I'm hooked on Gamache. I'll read anything that she's written. So I mean, there's certain oh, and Anne Cleave, of course. I mean, it's the characters, it's the stories, it's um, it's also you know I'd like to read outside my genre. You know, give me a good historical novel that, like I said, takes me someplace which I know I never go. Yeah, yeah, no, I know it's it's kind of a good thing. Um, well, perfect. So now social media and uh, uh, website, all of that sort of stuff. How do people find Jody? Well, they can. I have a brand new website, I'm happy to say. So they can find me at www.jodemillman.com. Um, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jody Millman. Instagram, Jody Writes. And generally, if they just, I mean, there aren't too many Jody Melmans. If they, you know, Google me, I'll come up, you know. <laughs> yeah. You on TikTok yet? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't want the Chinese knowing anything about me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they already caught everything on you on their balloon. Come on. Yeah, right, exactly. They're right <laughs> over my house. <laughs> They're right over your house. So, what? you know, it's too late now. I get know. on TikTok and start dancing. And <laughs> I can't get dancing right. People don't want to see me dance. I'm, I'm, I'll be like Elaine in that Jerry Seinfeld episode. <laughs> I like well, going every every which way. Well, there you, there you go. Well, of course, now we're going to have that up on the website, and and everyone can find you with one click, real easily, and and it's all good. And uh, did, did you you how was writing over the pandemic for you? How did it work for you, or how did you react to that? Well, it was kind of interesting because we had our son, daughter-in-law, and their nine-month-old son move in with us. Oh. So we had, uh, you know, like six people under our roof. And it was, and also everybody took turns watching the baby because everybody was working. So my family was very respectful in the afternoon when my door was shut to let me do my writing. So the mornings, you know, I'm there for them. The afternoons, don't come near me, you know, with a 10-foot pole kind of thing. So for me, the, that living situation was also, it was really, it was very supportive because I could kind of bounce ideas off of them, you know, during that whole process. Um, so, I mean, I was, I was very, very fortunate during the pandemic in terms of family. Knock on wood, everybody stayed healthy. And we were together, and I got to write. So it was great. You're probably in your room drinking. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, going, 
Dealt Where's the licorice when you need it? You know? yeah, that's right. You know, well, do you think? Do you think? You know, when when someone like yourself, you're writing a mystery, and there's you know murders and different things going on. Do you think something like living through the pandemic and all of the human actions and reactions throughout something like that? Um, do you think it seeps into your writing and maybe makes it a little darker? How do you feel on that? Uh, yeah, a little darker and a little more cynical about right. about relying on systems to to do things. You know, you start to question, I think, the uh, the structure of life that you relied upon, you know, when you can't even go to the market, you know? And then so why... Why is the legal system so screwed up? You know, why is the criminal justice system all screwed up? <laughs> I think it starts to to allow you to raise questions about systems that you thought were rock solid and aren't and really aren't, that it's all a bit of a facade. And I think that goes into making a better mystery, you know, questioning, questioning the very roots of do you know the people that you think you know? Do you know the people you love, you know? So it really does make you question all these things, makes you a little bit more cynical. Do, do you have any advice for uh, new writers who want to get into the business? Uh, persistence and mm. perseverance. You can't give up. You know, you just have to stay in it. You just have to jump in the pond and do it. Just don't give up. You know, don't be dissuaded. Um, and also, a practical thing is um, to attend conferences or take classes so that you know whatever genre you're writing. You know what the rules are. You know you know how the story arcs are supposed to go. And if you're writing a romance, to have a happily ever after kind of thing. Um, so that you really can, so, so that you know when you're writing where you're going to be on that bookshelf. Because that's important. It's important to get an agent. It's important to get a publisher. And it's important for a bookstore to know where you're going to be on that shelf. Yeah, and it's important to have a writer's name that's, really close to someone like Michael Connolly or something <laughs> beside him on the That's shelf. right. <laughs> and so they can't help but see your book. Right, exactly. Yeah. Go to a lot of bookstores and, and you know, help <laughs> you get published. Yeah, do you have, you know, Jody Melvin's book? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I personally go around to all the malls and put my books in all the bathrooms and... <laughs> All the bars. For a good time, Paul Allen. Yeah, well, that's that's well, that's not just in the book, but the book's there in case they don't want a good time. But they go, oh, what's this? Everyone likes reading in the bathroom anyway. Somebody told me to do that when you go on vacation. Take a book, like if you rent a house, you know, you do a, a verbo or whatever. Take your books with you and yeah. leave them in the house when yeah. you leave. Well, you remember, you know, because when we bring up Anne Cleves again, she said, you know, that book for, uh, what was it, for the, um, one of the series, it, her her book was found in a thrift shop. Oh, really? Yeah. It was it was not um, sold or marketed to a company to make into a series. Huh. Uh, Shetland, yeah, that was it. Yeah. She, she, someone found it in a book, someone who was a producer found it in a thrift stop shop and bought it and um, read it, and then they eventually got a hold of her, and it turned out wow. to be a series. So you just don't know yeah. who, where, and when are going to find it. You just got to get it out there, you know. So bathrooms are fine. Yeah, bathrooms are fine. Everybody goes there. Yeah, you know, they've got to <laughs> see it. They'll see your cover anyway. <laughs> That's true, yeah. 
They may not want to touch it, but they'll see the cover. Yeah, yeah, they'll see the cover. Yeah, public bathroom. Ooh, after after COVID. Anyway, well, I appreciate you being here. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, what can I say? So now the book is called The Empty Kayak, and it's a Queen City Crimes mystery. The author is Jody Millman. Thank you for being here. Alan, thank you, and Dave. It's so nice to talk to you guys. You too, Jody. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.